maybe putting together a goal for the day or setting an intention because you're there anyway. Mm -hmm. And then like you said, that feels good. So you think, well, maybe I'll meditate another time part of the day Mm -hmm. because that felt pretty good this morning. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Uncut, the podcast about how to stay surgery free and live a healthy lifestyle. I'm Dr. Tom Padilla, owner of the Doctors of Physical Therapy, It's a clinic that leads the U.S. in helping adults over 30 to avoid surgery and drugs and live an active, healthy lifestyle. If you're looking for ways to maximize not only the years in your life, but the life in your years, you're in the right place. We are committed to delivering information that will help you live life today and for many, many years to come. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Uncut. Today is a special day. I have with me Dr. Jennifer King. She is a medical doctor who has a practice here in town in Scottsdale. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I originally met Dr. King and uh, and reached out to her because I absolutely loved the philosophy on her website. In healthcare, there's a lot of either Western med or Eastern med, and it's always refreshing to find a perspective that takes into account patient preference and spending time with our patients and making sure that what we're doing is focused on getting long-lasting quality outcomes that are comprehensive and individualized. And so I was really uh, excited to bring you on today. Thank you for coming. I'm so excited to be here. Can't wait to discuss some interesting topics for patients to hear about. What inspired you to go into healthcare originally? So I actually didn't go to medical school till I was 30. Okay. Because I had a master's in exercise science and I was a psychology major and I was working, um, you know, in the gyms and training people. And I felt like I didn't have enough information to actually help people with medical problems. Okay. So when you learn about training people, you learn about training healthy people, mm-hmm. not about people with diabetes or high blood pressure or have had a stroke. So then that made an interest of me to go back in to look into what else I could learn. And so medical school was it for me. Also, I have a lot of heart disease in my family. Uh, mm-hmm. My dad passed away when I was 30. Mm-hmm. He had bypass surgery, but I felt that no one spent enough time trying to modify his risk factors. Okay. So the doctors, you know, put him on medications. And again, he had surgery, but no one talked to him about lifestyle and diet and decreasing his stress. Mm-hmm. They always tell, you know, cardiac patients decrease their salt, but no one else really talks to them about what they should be eating or what they shouldn't be eating. Again, what is their stress like? How are they sleeping? What are they doing for exercise? Mm-hmm. And I felt that that could have helped my dad because he had bypass surgery about a year before he passed away. So the bypass surgery, I would then have assumed was not super effective. It didn't give him that much more of a longer life. But I feel that if someone would have spent time talking to him, then he could have lived a lot longer, especially Mm -hmm. just, like I said, modifying some risk factors. So you already had an idea of like what type of doctor you wanted to be in terms of like your philosophy when you went into that. I did. Mm -hmm. So when I went to medical school, I always knew I wanted to do family practice because I wanted to get to know my patients and spend time with them. And I always knew I wanted to bring in exercise and lifestyle modifications, diet, because I had learned about that in my master's degree program. And it's what I preached to patients that I trained. Mm -hmm. So I felt like it was a lot more versed in those subjects because in medical school, you don't really get any classes in nutrition and, you know, exercise. Yeah. So you must've been kind of like an outlier in your medical class. I was. We had one nutrition class and it was home study. That meant that there were no lectures, People studied the book before the test and you pass the test and that was it. Mm-hmm. So it meant to me that there wasn't a lot of emphasis or they thought it was important enough to actually teach a class where we met and, and had discussions. Mm-hmm. So that was disappointing. And there wasn't any classes on prevention. 
how do we prevent heart disease? How do we prevent strokes? You know, let's talk about stress. Let's talk about sleep. And I think that's changed because obviously going through medical school, you're up all the time. Your stress is high. Mm-hmm. And I think we're addressing that more because I also teach medical students. So okay. we're checking in on them and, yeah. and making sure they're sleeping and that someone's there for them when the stress is high. So I know that's changed, but whether or not that's transitioned into teaching them about how to also take care of patients like that, I'm not sure, but I so hope I was so. I ask, was the, would the curriculum re- reflect that? I don't think so yet. Mm-hmm. So we're worried about the students because of the number of hours and the stress of going through medical school, but I don't think that's translated into more classes on how to help patients the same way you're helping yourself. This is fascinating because that's actually largely why I went into uh, physical therapy was I was a personal trainer and I was an exercise science major. And I started recognizing early on, yes, you could train healthy individuals, but what about those people who were kind of lost in the shuffle that weren't unhealthy enough to need intervention, but weren't well enough to be able to exercise and actually take control of that in a gym type environment and start to become more educated on their nutrition and things like that. Absolutely. I think when patients go to the gym, they just do what everyone else does. Mm -hmm. And they do, they get lost. They don't have high blood pressure yet, or they may be pre-diabetic, but not diabetic. They may have some cholesterol issues. So they're not really requiring medical attention on those. But if we could step in at that point, help them make changes, then they never get to that point. Their pre-diabetes never becomes diabetes. They never have that stroke or the heart attack. Yes, And that's where I think it was really important for anyone in the medical field to be able to talk to patients to them on that basis. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. So talk to me about your first years in medicine then. What were kind of some of the realizations you had, the struggles you might've had because you realized that you were this odd duck in a world of just people who focus on um, after somebody already uh, becomes ill. So it was difficult because you want to spend time. It takes time. If you Mm -hmm. want to talk to someone about their diet, you need to start asking, what do you have for breakfast? What do you have for lunch? What do you like to eat? In medicine, you only have about seven minutes a patient. And wow. if you're trying to cover overhead, just breakfast. yes. And sometimes you don't even want to ask about breakfast because that's longer than seven minutes. And mm-hmm. you still have to ask about how they're doing. You're still trying to check their blood pressure and their weight and you're maybe refilling medications and checking labs. So it became very difficult at seven minutes or hopefully, you know, in your practice, you may have a little bit longer to talk to patients about anything that was lifestyle. So what I would do is try to schedule them at the end of my morning or the end of my day so Mm -hmm. I could go as long as I needed to and it was on my time and not another patient's. So I'd work through my lunch or work after and say, hey, you know, let's talk about your blood pressure today, but let's have you come back in a week, you know, last appointment of the morning and then we can go over, you can do a food diary and we'll go over your diet and things like that. And I understand nutrition is incredibly complicated Mm -hmm. and it's evolving. So I feel that patients get very upset and frustrated because before we were supposed to eat low fat and then we were high carb and then then now we have a gigantic diabetic population and now we're supposed to eat some fats or better fats and maybe high protein and then there's paleo and there's vegan and now there's pegan and there's macros. So it is very complicated and I try to tell patients it's a science, so it's evolving. Right. It's not stationary. It's changing all the time. Right. You know, when we know better, we do better. But that's not to say that Vegetables aren't good. Everyone should eat vegetables. Fruits, you know, can be a little high in sugar. But there are some standards of nutrition that it's easy to talk to patients about. And so it just worked my practice that way. Just try to arrange my schedule so that I could spend more time with patients that needed it. Absolutely. I mean, I've always had a thought about this with people. They like to blame the client sometimes or the patient. Like, oh, this person has made poor lifestyle choices. But then we have to take into consideration that for a length of time, they may have diligently followed this advice and then that advice and then the other advice. And at this point, like they're feeling like something is wrong with them 
And now they're looking at a healthcare practitioner who's just saying, well, now you need to make these lifestyle changes, right? And it can be really confusing to them and oftentimes lead them to that sense that, you know, it's just them. Right. And they give up. They give up because they're frustrated and they say, I'm doing everything you tell me to do and I'm not seeing any results. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever listened to some other people with podcasts, some of the medical you know, practitioners, they will tell you, yes, you know, you have patients that are doing everything that we told them to do with no results. And then you said you changed tactics and now we're going to do all this and they're, they're bought in and they do that and no results and they get frustrated. And now they just give up. Mm-hmm. And they're not sure what to do and they're tired and frustrated. And I understand that. And nutrition especially is evolving. So that's that's a difficult subject to have with patients because they would tell you, you used to tell me to eat this, now I can't eat this. But there are some basics. Right. At least if we can get them to have a discussion, that's great. Mm-hmm. That at least opens the door to talk about maybe some small changes. And I always start with small changes, mm-hmm. one or two things. Let's not have that Monday morning where we're going to change our entire diet, right. our, entire, our entire lifestyle. Absolutely. It's too much. Mm-hmm. It's too much. We're busy people. We're working. There's a lot going on. So easier to just change one or two things, let that settle, and then move on to some other things. Absolutely. I think that's the key to habit change, right? Is small, yes. meaningful changes one step at a time to help someone start to feel successful, especially once someone has started to feel that they just continuously meet these brick walls. Yes. Right? As soon as you can, like you said, make them feel better or they see some small changes, then they're motivated to do more change. And I think you touched on a great point here. One of the things that I am adamant about, which is one of the requirements that I tell people to look for in providers is the provider is not necessarily always going to be 100% correct. This is called practicing medicine. However, finding a provider who's willing to acknowledge that you're trying as the, cl- as the p- client or patient and they're trying their best and we're still not making ground and then willing to pivot strategies is, is extremely important because there's a lot of medicine out there where you'll just kind of see people hammering forward in the same direction over and over and over and not, not getting uh, different results, which is the definition of insanity. It is. Right? It is. And, and you're right. You need to be open to making changes on both sides, mm-hmm. you know, doing some more research as a physician trying to figure it out, maybe, you know, bringing in some specialists to help, you know, in certain areas with patients. We can't blame the patients. I think there is a lot of that of maybe you're not doing everything I I recommended, Mm -hmm. but they do. They want to make change. They want to work hard and it's frustrating for them. And I understand that. I mean, I'm frustrated with some of my own health goals, so I get it. Would you find that when you were in those first years of practice and you were reorganizing your schedule to meet with certain clients at the end of the day so that you could work with them longer, what was the demand for that? So the demand increased significantly because patients want more time. Mm -hmm. So I had more than seven minutes patient because it was my own practice. Mm -hmm. So I scheduled them accordingly and I would have notes in patients' charts if someone needed more time, maybe I would book out two appointments for them because I wanted people to get what they needed to say said. And I felt the biggest part of family practice is getting to know your patients. And Mm -hmm. I can't do that if you're only in my office for five or seven minutes. Mm -hmm. And I also understand that people are busy. I'm busy, you're busy. And to go to a doctor's office and be told that we don't have time to talk about all the concerns today. And honestly, sometimes I don't, but I try to cover 90% because I realize someone took time off work to come in that day. Mm -hmm. So it's unfortunate when they're not getting what they need and then they're asked to come back and you have to take time off work or you may need to find a babysitter, you know, for Mm -hmm. your children. And then that doesn't help the patient either. So it was nice that they had options. I also had Saturday appointments that made it nice. And those were a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would bring the family and I would bring my dog. So the family, the kids would play with my <laughs> dog. Yeah, yeah, everyone won. You know, yeah. they could see my dog. I had a, a big yellow lab and she got to play with some kids. And, you know, I got to spend some time with the parents. And it was right next to, I, my practice was in Old Town next to the um, farmer's market. 
Okay. So I would always tell them, go to the farm. If you haven't been to the farmer's market, it's Mm -hmm. right across the parking lot. Yeah. It's 70 (laughs) vendors and go and just, you know, maybe buy something you would normally eat just to try it. Yeah. So that was really nice. I'm up in North Scottsdale now, but I, I go down to the South Scottsdale farmer's market a lot because they have lots of great items, but it just kind of all fit together. Right. It's a Saturday. There's a farmer's market. You know, it was just a nice way to practice, which I still do, which I like. A great mentor of mine told me the client will tell you what's wrong with them if you just allow them to. Right. And so yes. sometimes that's seven minutes. You're just barely scratching the surface. And oftentimes I wonder if, if that's where we get a lot of these symptom management type solutions because you're not actually given the time to find what in my practice we would call the root cause. And that could be habits. It could be something that they think they're doing right, that they're not. And it takes time to find that. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Most of the time, our clients will tell us exactly what's wrong if we listen. Yes. If you have enough time and you don't even have to ask the right questions, if you're just silent and nodding and listening and and asking, you know, questions here or there, but letting patients speak, a lot of times they do tell you what's wrong with them. Mm -hmm. So as you practice now, you get to do more of what you like, right? You get to spend more time with your clients. Can you talk to us about what it looks like, what your comprehensive uh, treatment model is? So yeah, so now I spend even more time. Mm -hmm. So as I've practiced, I've been in practice since 2004. So it evolves and I spend more time with patients than I used to um, because I don't practice under the insurance model, which Mm -hmm. really limits how long you can see a patient. So that helps really getting to know people, asking the the tough questions, asking them goals. I'd like to ask health goals Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's important. We need to be on the same page. You know, um, it gives me time to talk about alternative treatments. I'm willing to prescribe anything that has science-based research. So if Mm -hmm. that's acupuncture, Reiki therapy, I'm all for it because those are not invasive and not harmful to patients. And then if they're not open to those things, then we can... I can follow the traditional Western model as well. So mm-hmm. I'm open to both. Too flexible. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like you said, some people need surgery and some people don't. But when we need it, we have it. When we need prescriptions, we have them. When there's alternatives, we can try those first, as long as we're not putting the patient's health at risk. Mm-hmm. Now I have the time to talk about their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, how much are you sleeping? What's mm-hmm. your stress level like? Last year, everyone's stress level has been 20 over 10. Through the roof. Yes. Yep. So what habits or changes have they made in the last year that maybe haven't been as healthy mm-hmm. as we would have liked? The best part about spending time with patients is being able to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just need someone to talk to. Absolutely. I had a client in my office yesterday. He's an active 73-year-old male. Never had a problem being consistent about going to the gym, exercising four, five, six days a week, played pickleball, weightlifted. Then gyms were shut down. And so now he's gotten to this point where he's gained some weight. He had no options in order to be able to continue to do that because it was a very social uh, exercise-based plan for him. And so now he's struggling to overcome what has become his habit, which is now the chains of inactivity, right? And get back to something that he was able to sustain for like 40 to 50 years prior to this. So now we're talking about how to counsel him on how to rebuild those habits, get maybe a personal trainer to uh, get some accountability. Right. But these types of conversations can happen in that type of model. Because last year, everyone's habits changed, some for the better and some for the worse. Mm -hmm. So going back and kind of unlearning some of those things, especially when people are on such a good program, it's been hard for them because they haven't known where to go. 
And not everyone could afford to have gym equipment in their house or has room. Or it was not available because everybody else in the world was buying it. (laughs) It was sold out. (laughs) Yeah, it was impossible to even get gym equipment for a while. So that's been really hard on people. And the socialism, too, of them going to the gym and talking to their friends and being with people, that's been really hard, too. So, again, trying to pivot and figure out what what are next steps now? What does now look like as we're hopefully, you know, coming out of this um, this difficult time? I love that you said that because pivoting is, is essential in a time of crisis right? Or a time of need. Yes. And having a coach like, like your MD, like your doctor who can help you to conceptualize, all right, accept that things have changed. How are we going to pivot? What's our problem solving here? Because otherwise people just get overwhelmed by the stress of the situation. You, you, you stop doing your favorite form of exercise. So you make different dietary decisions. You eat differently. Your mood is yes. different. Your relationship with your spouse and your family might change. Your sleep might change yeah. because of that. And then your stress gets higher, right? right. And it's just like, this revolving cycle, unless uh, you have someone there in your corner that's truly taking a comprehensive look at your health, not a seven minute look to see what your latest ailment is. Yeah, I think a lot of physicians, you know, we've got a tough year ahead of us because mm-hmm. of last year, because you're right, we had people that were really doing great on a path and kind of, you know, fell off the wagon for lack of a better term because they're just things weren't available. Um, and people don't always live in a place where you can be outside, you know, a lot of the times of the year because it's cold. So we're, we're lucky. <laughs> we really are here in Arizona. It's been great because most of us could just go outside and hike or walk. So mm-hmm. it was perfect. But we need to kind of bring people back, especially to their healthy habits, because we understand that, you know, part of the pandemic was people weren't as healthy as they could have been, not through any fault of their own. But as a country, we could make better lifestyle choices. We could have better information out there on public service announcements. I'd love to see those on Saturday morning, you know asking people to get out and exercise or walk because you just have to walk. There aren't, mm-hmm. you don't have to make a lot of changes. And you said people are overwhelmed because should I walk? Should I lift weights? Should I swim? Should I play pickleball? Should I play golf? Walking is, can be a great form of exercise and simple and most everyone can do it. And that could be a good place to start and it'd be great to get some information out there to help people like, what do we do now? We've maybe come out, we're coming out the other side of this. What can we do to prevent this in the future? So let's talk about that. So what are, what are a couple tips that you might give someone who's in that exact situation? Because one of the things that I think people have trouble with is the, the goal setting phase and then letting it get too big or too massive. So good question. For, so for me, always we start with sleep. Because if you're not sleeping well, you're not making good food choices because when you're tired, you tend to choose sugary items because they perk you up and you tend to drink more caffeine, which also affects your sleep. Mm -hmm. So caffeine can be in your system for 12 hours. So I try to recommend my patients not have any caffeine afternoon, Mm -hmm. um, but preferably 10 a.m. So kind of start with where someone's at. If they haven't done anything in the last year or not very much activity, I like to call it, we don't have to call it exercise, we can call it activity, then I'd like them out walking. Mm -hmm. And you can start around the block because that is 100% more than you did the day before. Yep. So simple exercise changes like that. But walking, I really like because, like you said, it's inexpensive. Everyone can do it. Um, you don't have to go to a park. You can just walk around your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. If it starts to get boring, you can always do, I have them do 30 seconds faster, 60 seconds slower, 30 mm-hmm. seconds. You can try to change it up mm-hmm. that way. But again, sleep is is key. So people were staying up later because they didn't have to get up in the morning. Yep. A lot of Netflix. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of Netflix and chill <laughs> all through the night. So I want people going back on a regular sleep cycle, trying not to eat two to three hours before they go to bed, going to bed no later than 10, trying to get six to eight hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. I always tell people when you go on vacation and not setting an alarm, see how many hours of sleep you need. 
that's a good time to find out. And then whatever that is for you, I know for me it's eight. Mm -hmm. Some people need more, some people need less. Then that's the amount of time I want you sleeping. I want people to wake up feeling rested and not exhausted. Mm -hmm. And oversleep, avoiding oversleeping, right? That going back to sleep and then waking up even groggier. Exactly. So we want to work on their sleep and see what they can do to make those changes. And then small um, exercise changes are next. And then we kind of talk about their diet and see where they're at with that. What people underestimate is the point of these small habit changes. You might be listening and think, walk around my block. Like that doesn't, I mean, it's, it's a wimpy goal, right? right? But, but the point of it is when you set these goals and you start accomplishing them, it's the success, right? And you're trying to get a snowball yes. of slightly larger and slightly larger successes. And what you're doing to your brain is actually releasing yes. endorphins that help you to realize that you're hitting those goals and encourage you to set more goals and become more and more successful. And that's what we're trying to manipulate when we set those small goals. Absolutely. So you walk around the block and you think, oh, that was kind of easy. So I'm going to do two blocks today. And then two blocks becomes three blocks, becomes four blocks, becomes 10 blocks and a hundred percent. Or I have patients, you know, when they make coffee in the morning, they do some squats. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you think, well, that's, it only takes five minutes to make coffee. How many squats could I do? Well, you a do a lot. Exactly. <laughs> so you can get a lot done in five minutes yep. and just simple things like that or push ups on the kitchen counter because mm-hmm. you're standing there anyway. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason you can't do a couple things. Or when I take my dog for a walk and when he's sniffing, then I try to do something mm-hmm. because he's, I'm standing. Twist your spine a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Put your arms up in the air, do some squats, do mm-hmm. some lunges because he's sniffing and not doing anything. And I, Try to remind my husband it's his walk, not ours. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have a wiener. They have those very tiny oh, legs. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I have a golden doodle. He keeps up with whatever. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. Now we yeah. have like three inch legs. Plus, we have to sniff yeah. everything. <laughs> not going on a jog with no, this one. Yeah. He's not going anywhere fast. <laughs> so then we can do, like you said, just some twists. You, you know, raise your arms above your head, do some biceps curls. You don't need any weights. Mm-hmm. Just get moving. Mm-hmm. And you're standing there anyway. So it's nice to add on habits to things that you're already doing. If you're making coffee every morning, it takes five minutes. And that time you kind of sit there, you could meditate, right? Keep your eyes closed. Just think about whatever, you know, meditation is also practice like yoga takes some time, but even Mm -hmm. just keeping your eyes closed, thinking about your day, maybe putting together a goal for the day or setting an intention because you're there anyway. Mm -hmm. And then like you said, that feels good. So you think, well, maybe I'll meditate another time part of the day, because that felt pretty good this morning. So we're trying to add on tiny habits to habits that they already are doing. Yeah. There's a great book on this called Atomic Habits. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's cue, activity, behavior, and then reward, right? And just like setting up your environment. And like when you put the coffee on, that is your cue to do whatever X activity Mm -hmm. you've inserted. And then you get that reward or that endorphin rush um, after completion of the task. Yeah. I love that. That's a great book. Let's touch back on the three pillars of evidence-based practice, which I don't know if a lot of uh, listeners will know about this, but when we're going through school, um, at least for me anyway, we were always taught that there are three pillars when it comes to the best way that the best care that you could possibly give to your patients. The first pillar is strong evidence-based research and intervention. The second pillar is going to be clinician experience. Yes. And the third pillar, which I feel like is often left out because people are forced to choose between a practitioner that only does Western med or a practitioner that only does holistic is patient preference. Those three pillars should all be weighted equally. People often get stuck in a model where things tend to be one-sided, either only evidence and only Western-based or only patient preference. And and I think that people are kind of lost in that. So can you talk a little bit about the importance and how you kind of round that out and take that into consideration? Because you've already talked a little bit about 
patients who prefer to be a little more Western or a little more Eastern, you'll take that into consideration. And you've talked about how evidence-based practice rules in your practice, basically, right? But then we've talked about how nutrition and exercise and how much evidence there is behind those, but you don't have that in standard practice. So can you talk to me about how you've managed to blend all those things? It starts with where you are in your in your health journey. Mm-hmm. So as a practitioner, I was a swimmer and I like to exercise. I play pickleball. So I think from the practitioner standpoint, it depends on what you're interested in and what resonates with you, mm-hmm. which is nice. So I think finding a practitioner that has the same philosophy you do is important. Great advice. So I grew up in California. It's sunny a lot. We were mm-hmm. we skied, we played tennis, we swam, we were outside all the time. So to me, that was always a part of who I was. So it's easy for me to talk to patients about that. Mm-hmm. It's also because of my background, which is different than a lot of people's. When you you know go to medical school at 22 and you were a science major, I was a soft science major, a psychologist. Yep. So it's a little bit different when you go th- right through, only because I had felt like I had a little bit more life experience. So I could try to find the things that worked for me. So then I can have some of that, like you said, not evidence-based, but personal experience with success and things that were helpful and and forming habits and healthy lifestyle. So I think it's seeing where the patient is at. And some of them are only Western medicine that, you know, and I I don't mean that in a negative way, but they- they, We have to respect that, Exactly. They are comfortable with having prescription medications for their ailments, and that's fine. And there's a need for that. that. And they're they're just not open to making changes, and Mm -hmm. that's okay. But then when you spend some time talking to patients, you can find a little bit more information about where they feel. Arizona's a great state for that. That was one of the reasons I chose this as the state to do my residency and have a mm-hmm. practice because of Andy Weil from University of Arizona, who mm-hmm. was like the father of integrative medicine, mm-hmm. which is what I practice. It's integrative. We'll take whatever side that, like I said, has evidence-based medicine. People are more open here. I think they like to exercise more because it's sunny. They're open to supplements. They're open to alternative treatments. Mm-hmm. I don't think all states are like that. No. Um, so I, that was, again, one of the reasons I chose this to do my residency and to work here because I wanted people that felt like I did. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a matter of spending time with the patient to figure out what their philosophies are and then also trying to blend both sides. Mm-hmm. Because if someone has high blood pressure, they need medication. Mm-hmm. In the meantime... While they're being treated with medication, we can work on things that take a little bit longer to, to be successful. Maybe some weight loss, decreasing stress, seeing if someone has sleep apnea or some other reason that could be causing the high blood pressure, talking about their diet. Yes. But in the meantime, I have to keep them safe right. and I have to decrease their risk of, of stroke because of the blood pressure. It's about incorporating, looking at all evidence available, plus your own, like you said, history of treating patients and um, I've been in practice since 2004, so seeing what's been successful in the past, because sometimes it's difficult or impossible to get research studies done on lifestyle change because there's no money, so there's no pharmaceutical right. there's company. No, there's no incentive no, in lifestyle no, change. Exactly. No research study is going to put 500,000 people or 5,000 people in a research study, and these people exercised and these people didn't, and these people ate this and because... It, there's no pills to be involved. And mm-hmm. so the pharmaceutical companies aren't interested, unfortunately. So then you have to look back on your own history and other physicians that you share common interests with. And what have, what have they done? What have they tried? What has been successful? Of mm-hmm. course, we have to protect the patient first. So if someone right. has high blood pressure and they need medication, they need medication. 
my goal would be to get them off medication, but that's going to take a little bit more time. And mm-hmm. so that's where we comes in spending time with them. Also talking about the different options that could be helpful for them besides prescription medications. Absolutely. I love it because you're treating the symptom yes. and finding the cause. The symptom is easy to treat in seven minutes, yes. but the cause is where the real juice is, right? And that's, yes. that's where you're really going to get a patient living a longer, happier, healthier life where they can be active with their friends and family for as long as they want to. That being said, like what types of patients do you see in your practice? I'm all over the board. I definitely have people that seek me out because they want to make some lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. They want that to be a part of their health journey, mm-hmm. um, medications if they need them, but also health, health changes because people do. They want to live as healthy as long as they can. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. You want to be perfectly healthy and then the next day you want to go to sleep maybe and you don't wake up. Yeah, that's so that, ideal, right? Yeah, to that would be perfect. Maximize the quality as much as the quantity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I have patients that like that they have as much time with me as they need so they mm-hmm. feel that they can get all their issues discussed and, and evaluated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have people that really aren't interested in lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still probably going to talk about it mm-hmm. and see if we can still, because I think we there is no time where it's too late. Right. We can always make change. Um, but I think a lot of people really are interested in prevention in my practice. They mm-hmm. want to prevent medical problems. Mm-hmm. And we know prescription medications do that, but they don't do it as well as if you do prescription medications and lifestyle change. Right. Or if you do lifestyle change and then they don't require prescription medications anymore. Mm -hmm. We know that that lasts a lot longer and there aren't side effects. Mm -hmm. There's no side effects from exercising and changing your diet and except good ones, positive side effects and getting sleep and decreasing your stress. Right. I have patients that, like I said, have lots of health issues and some that have none and just really want to keep it that way. What are some of the common like struggles that these clients have reported having before coming to see you, whether that's like with their own lives and our bodies or just like with the, with the way that the medical system is set up in general? I think the problem is the lack of time. When you have an insurance-based medical practice, because insurance reimbursement is poor in general mm-hmm. and pays to do things like surgery and not to talk about things like mm-hmm. what I would do in my practice. Yeah, you can't get paid for discussing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's difficult to want to spend the time that you need. So I think the patients get frustrated because the doctor doesn't remember their name, doesn't know who they are, or they can't see a doctor. That's a big complaint that my patients have that all they ever see is a PA or a nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. And I understand the value of those extenders and those providers. Mm-hmm. But I think eventually you'd like to see the doctor at least annually so they know who you are and you know who they are and you can get that medical knowledge that you need. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they've never seen the doctor. They don't even know who the doctor in the practice is. Mm-hmm. Also, customer service is big in medicine. Medical providers, maybe we want to pretend that we're not in the service business, but mm-hmm. we are. Absolutely. So, I 100% you know, agree. Being able to return phone calls, um, especially if someone's sick, mm-hmm. being able to talk to patients when they're scared, being able to help them. Um, most medical doctors, primary care, we don't have hospital privileges anymore, mm-hmm. and the sh- insurance companies made sure of that. That was basically their decision, not ours, I feel. So if they're in the hospital trying to reach out to who's taking care of the patient and Mm -hmm. letting that doctor know, hey, I'm here. Like, do you need records? You can call me anytime. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to discuss. I don't need to manage a hospital patient. The hospital patient, hospitalists are very well um, versed in doing that. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just letting them know that someone knows who this patient is and cares and I'm happy to help whatever that needs. Do you need a list of medications? Whatever you would need, I I can help. And Mm -hmm. then I keep in touch with the patients too in the hospital and making sure that they're getting care. Because especially during last year, hospitals became overrun and we need to make sure that we're still taking good care of patients in the hospital. When my patients are in the hospital, they can let me know so I can reach out to the provider. 
But when I was in insurance-based practice, I wouldn't even know. I had a patient that was in a hospital for a month Mm -hmm. and no one ever called me. Really? The hospital didn't call me. The hospitalist didn't call me. The specialist didn't. I had no idea that patient had had bypass surgery and then had a complication and was in the ICU. Because mm-hmm. you're just slammed with patients back to back to back Well, all and day no one and told nobody, you. Yeah, no one in their connection. family didn't call. Right. And I was embarrassed, actually. Right. I was embarrassed, no, because my office used to be across the street from the hospital. Oh, wow. And my it was new literally office across yes, the street. I could see it from yeah. my back window. And I would have walked over and seen the patient at least a few times. If they'd been mm-hmm. in there 30 days, I would have been by quite a few times. It's a long time, yeah. And I didn't know anything about it. That's the other thing is trying to make sure that I know who the specialists that they're seeing are, know if they're in the hospital, making sure I'm getting records. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard to get records too from special. I spent a lot of time chasing down records from specialists. Mm-hmm. More time you don't have than time I think to I do should. that in, a, in an insurance based model. No, and I don't like to do it now. Yeah, right. <laughs> it takes yeah. a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And I'll ask, like, did the patient tell you I was their primary care provider? And they'll say yes. And I said, well, I haven't received any records. Mm-hmm. I need to know. I sent you there, so I need to know what the conclusions were because I think medicine is. It takes a village, and I think yes. especially primary care takes a village. I need my I need my cardiologist, my gastroenterologist, my mm-hmm. orthopedic surgeons, my physical therapist. I need everyone to take care of this patient. But if I don't know what's going on, then I'm in the dark and I can't help my patients to the best of my ability. Absolutely. I've often said the the same thing where it's just a lot of the times it doesn't feel like we're all on the same team. It feels like everybody's just kind of on their own team going their own direction yes. with this patient. And there's just so little communication because of the way that the whole system is set up. Everybody's overrun. Everybody's overworked. Doctors are burning out. They don't have time to follow up and make sure this happens and make sure that happens because they're in the same situation, which is why it's so wonderful when people are not in that situation and they can actually work together on a client or patient. Because if I interview somebody and if you interview somebody, a client, they might tell us different pieces of the story or like the story might get a little deeper because they've had some time to reflect in between the time that they've seen me or the time they've seen you. 100%. 100%. And it does take a village, I think, to take care of all patients. Mm -hmm. And the better we communicate and talk to each other, then the better off that we are. And so most of the specialists I refer to, or basically 100% of them, I have their cell phone. So I'll text and say I'm sending someone and then I'll want to know if the specialist wants anything Mm -hmm. or if you want anything from me. You know, mm-hmm. Tom, if you want me to order something or to get some kind of testing done, because there's no reason for me to spend, send someone to a specialist to have that initial consult to be told, well, you need a CT scan or mm-hmm. you need this. And then, okay, I'll see you in a few weeks after you get that done. But if I can get it done, then you go in with all the information, then it makes the offices a lot more productive. A lot more cohesive. Lot yes. Just everybody's on the same page. Exactly. Which and, is super helpful. And then I can tell you or the specialist what I need. This is why I'm sending the patient to you. This is what I think is going on. Mm -hmm. Let me know your thoughts. I love it. So, yeah. This has been just such a pleasure. I hope that you've enjoyed this as much as I have. I have. Can you um, give anyone listening a couple ways to find out more about you, about your practice? So my website is Mm www.drjenniferking.com, and that's drjenniferking.com. Most of my information is on my website. I practice in North Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not insurance-based practice, but um, I do complimentary meet and greets. If people want to come in and meet me and see the office and let me know my philosophy, and then they can tell me their philosophy because I want it to be a good fit mm-hmm. on both sides. You know, it doesn't hurt my feelings. If patients feel like it's not the right practice for them, that's okay. And patients should feel that if they have a doctor that they don't feel is a good fit for them, that they should feel like it's okay to move on mm-hmm. because, you know, your health is at stake and there's nothing more important than your health. Absolutely. I think it's so important to have a connection with the doctor and to be on the same page with them. Absolutely. So my website's the best one. And they can um, fill out a form there to get in touch and request a consult and 
Yeah, there's a form and there's also numbers to call. So right. 480-203-5388 is my office number and people can call anytime to uh, ask for information. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. King, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. For those of you tuning in, make sure you like, comment, and review our podcast. Subscribe. For more content like this, you can head over to the show notes where I'll link both the Doctors of Physical Therapy website and Dr. Jennifer King's website so that you can have easy access to uh, to the resources that uh, that we talked about today. I hope you got a lot of valuable information from today's podcast. I think there were a lot of great takeaways that Dr. King shared with us about finding the right doctor and making sure that you have the right people in your corner to live a long, healthy, active life that lasts until that very last day where you just hopefully go to sleep and there is no more. (laughs) Share with a friend who might need to hear this message. And until next time, live life today.